This is Tumpsy On Air from Toronto United Mennonite Church. I'm Peter, and you are welcome, wherever and whoever you are. We are exploring how artistic and creative work can be a spiritual practice. Later on, we'll hear from Dora Alexander about her experiences of working with clay. Scripture sometimes uses the metaphor of an artist and crafter to describe God as creator. This can be a great comfort. In the midst of despair, Isaiah remembers, yet you, God, are our parent. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. So listen, then, for these promises of God's creative, liberating love. I encourage you to doodle or color or mold or jot down words and phrases that catch your attention. I hope that this is a time that helps us draw closer to God. Pun intended. We pray. Creator Spirit, you clothe the flowers of the field. Enable us to rejoice in all the gifts with which you fill us. And may that be enough for us. Amen. Sister Bianca, herself a weaver, says, In the age of quick purchase, the impulse to weave seems almost perverse. After all, you can walk into a Walmart, plunk down $39.99, and walk out five minutes later with a serviceable bedsheet. Better yet, you can order it online and have it delivered in two business days. So who has time to spend countless hours tangled in yarn, adjusting tension, and counting warp threads? In her poem, To Weavers Everywhere, Marchienne Rienstra explores the sorrow and sacrifice and saving power of God as weaver. God sits, weeping. The beautiful creation tapestry that she wove with such joy is mutilated. Torn into shreds, reduced to rags, its beauty fragmented by force. God sits, weeping. But look. She is gathering up the shreds to weave something new. She gathers our threads of sorrow. The pain, the tears, the frustration caused by cruelty, crushing, ignoring, violating, killing. She gathers the rags of hard work, the attempts at advocacy, initiatives for peace, protests against injustice, all the seemingly little and weak words and deeds offered sacrificially, in hope, in faith, in love. And look, she is weaving them all with golden threads of jubilation into a new tapestry, a creation richer, more beautiful than the old one was. God sits weaving, patiently, persistently, with a smile that radiates like a rainbow on her tear-streaked face. And she invites us, not only to keep offering her the shreds and rags of our suffering and our work, but even more, to take our place beside her at the jubilation loom and weave with her the tapestry of the new creation. God is not done creating. 
God is at work, and we get to join in that work of finding beauty and creating joy. And I'm thankful to Dora for joining me in conversation to tease out some of these themes. All right, Dora, thank you so much for joining. You're very welcome. I wonder if you want to just introduce yourself a little bit uh, to our Tumsi on Air audience. Yes, uh, my name is Dora Alexander, and um, Peter asked if I would uh, connect up today to talk a little bit about clay, and so I thought that would be really fun. I live just north of the city in Georgina on a 10-acre homestead with my partner, Lori, and our kids. Um, well, I don't know if they're all technically kids anymore, some very large ones, but uh, Ezra, Annie, Matthias, and Willem. Our, our kids collectively. So yeah, I uh, enjoy getting into all kinds of interesting things and clay is one of my interests and uh, occasional hobbies. I think the idea for talking to you came about because of our series on Picture It, looking at uh, ways that art informs how we take part in worship, uh, how we understand God. We're trying to get away from a focus on words, words, words all the time, uh, but we're also doing a podcast. Um, mm -hmm. So we thought it'd be a good to make sure that we have some more tangible content for our podcast. So I'd love to hear you talk a bit about um, your pottery. Um, how did you get started <clears throat> and where did that come from? I started working with clay when I was a kid. I, I grew up in an old order community in, in Pennsylvania called the Bruderhope, which is related to uh, the Hutterites. Mm. And um, we did a lot of artistic things. My father loved to paint and we would do different forms of music and drawing. And, and there was always something <clears throat> going on. And I was probably around 10 or so is when I remember having a, a sort of a ball of clay in my hands. It was around Christmas time, playing around with it and kind of managing to pull out a, a shepherd. Huh. I remember very specifically that it was actually a shepherd playing the, the banjo. I'm not sure if they had banjos back then, but um, oh, I love it. that was my intent. And, and you know some people were like, wow, it's a shepherd playing the banjo. And, and so that was really thrilling for me as, as a kid. And so it just kind of took off. And so, you know, to say pottery, normally think about the potting wheel, which I do some of as well, which is, is a wonderful, you know, the centering exercise of taking the ball of clay and then pulling something up on, on a wheel. We have a, a little wheel here that we should pull out in summer and can the kids like to, to make little vases and cups and so on. Mm. But probably my, my true interest and, and, uh, hobby more lies in the in the sculptural sort of figurative side with clay mm. you know i used to do little christmas figures sometimes abstract things for example i made one little set i have a couple little here to show you of little scenes sort of from my childhood oh gosh a little, a little clay fella here well that's gorgeous holding he, a uh, he's kind of kneeling truck. over and what's he holding yeah he's kind of sitting kneeling on the ground with with a little toy truck right and uh, so I made at one point a whole a whole little set of them, the sort of memories of of my child as an old lady oh uh, sitting goodness. in her chair with her little uh, sewing basket there. So yeah, for me it was kind of a, an interesting exercise of looking at a, a lump of clay and kind of seeing you know what what's going to come out of it. Mm. And I would usually just start without any kind of uh, agenda or or specific direction and just kind of mess around with it and sort of sometimes see something kind of coming out 
and then and then work with that mm. you know as you know and probably lots of um our community now really anything you do with your hands or anything creative you know disengage some of the the intellectual chatter i think can really be an exercise in spirituality and, and in whatever you believe in or feeling closer to to the divine so for me clay definitely is is that and helps me with that process get out a little bit of, of my head and into my hands and um also the exercise of trust that something's going to come out that uh, mm. is interesting or, or fun or uh, some, somewhere that you, you want to go with it. Those pieces that you showed me, uh, they're painted, I would guess. Yeah, they're, they're actually glazed. So, so, you know, clay is a very interesting medium. So here's another piece. I'll show you. There's some parts on this that have no, no glaze on them. So you'll see at the bottom here, it's kind uh -huh. of a natural color of the of the clay yeah so it's a ceramic like you think of sort of a, a pot like your flower pot that's kind of an unglazed surface and then and, and another interesting thing about working with clay is after you make your figure you always have to hollow it out uh-huh because if you don't so you can see i had to go all the way up you really can't have anywhere that's more than one inch thick right because when it goes into a kiln it's a very interesting process. It actually is a chemical transformation that it goes from earth. And I'm sure there's all kinds of spiritual things you can go with <laughs> that too, but it goes from earth or clay. And actually when it hits around 960 degrees Fahrenheit, it becomes totally dehydrated. Mm. Right. And, and then transforms chemically into ceramic, mm. which is an almost non-degradable, you know, rock-like material versus like basically dust, which is what clay and earth are. So if you have a, a piece of clay or a pot that is more than an inch thick somewhere, you imagine that water escaping, it shrinks the form. There's nowhere to go and it explodes. Oh, yeah. Like popcorn. So I have, yeah. So I've had many a piece, uh, especially when I was younger, you know, exploded in the kiln. So you kind of open up the kiln afterwards and your pieces in, is oh, shattered and into many pieces. So it's kind of... Um, yeah, form and functionality, you have to kind of bear that in mind as you're, <clears throat> as you're building something out. And then once it's fired once, you're looking at kind of a, a red, sort of a, a rusty surfaced piece. And then you have to, if, if you're going to use glaze, it, it's actually bits of glass that when they go back in the kiln, melt and the, and the color comes out Hmm. and melds to the surface of the ceramic. It's not paint. It's an actual sort of a liquid glass application. So when you're painting it on, when you're looking at the liquid glaze, it's typically just sort of a gray nondescript color. So it's again, sort of a, a process of, of trust that if you want, you know, something like this purple here, when you're painting it on your piece, it just looks kind of gray. Right. So you're sort of hoping and another thing that you think is yellow that you're sort of putting it together. You really have no idea what you're going to get until it uh, until it comes out the other side. So there's these multiple steps of kind of transformation that happen when you're working with clay that, that's kind of neat. Gosh, that's fascinating. So, well, I guess I have two questions. When you're working with your hands on sculpting mm -hmm. a piece. Do you yeah. do that all in one go or are there different stages? No, I typically do it over time because clay, you know, when you first get it, it's, it's wet, it's malleable. And if you're building, depending on how, like I sometimes will do larger structures, you need to go slowly and allow it to dry a little bit to gain some integrity. So you have to kind of do it in steps. Right. Uh, you know, a little one like this, maybe I'll do in, in, in a sitting and it kind of depends 
when I was a child, you know, I would take sometimes weeks on a piece and you'd have to wrap it in plastic and keep the moisture in. Right. And I remember in my household of eight kids, you know, there wasn't a lot of sort of private special places for delicate things. So inevitably I'd have some ornate piece, you know, as a 12 year old that I was working on for some gift and, you know, somebody would knock it off and it would get uh, shattered along with particularly fragile when it's in that stage of development before it's become dry. So no, typically it would be over a little, little bit of time just to allow the, the, the clay to dry. And then the, the finer details I do, at least when it's a little bit drier, it has a bit more integrity. Right. So the, there's the, the sculpting process, which as you said, could take many sittings. Um, when, when in that process, would you say that you have a vision of what you're working towards? Yeah. Well, I'll say that, that I really enjoy it more when I do have that vision. And it's sort of, for me, that step of watching something come out, right? But I mean, I really enjoy mostly figurative pieces. I do some other candle holders or some abstract forms, but for the most part, my interest is people and doing Mm. some type of figurative elements. There's a, a certain turning point when I'm working with the clay, when it's like, I can see the character or, or the elements of the, of the, the form coming out. And that's really when, when it's become sort of fun until then it's kind of like I'm building the foundation and, and, and putting it together. But then when I see that little glimmer, that glimpse of insight, it's like, okay, then I kind of feel like I know a little bit more where I'm going and, and it's more of a, an organic journey rather than a, a looking. Mm, that's super cool. So, you know, in our society where I grew up, we lived in a, in a commune, right? So nobody had individual money. And so we had no, there was no way to replace anything. Any gift you had, you would make it. And if something that you had broke, that that was kind of it. And uh, I'm number six out of eight. So, you know, yep. by the time I came along, my mother had this whole set of mugs, these hand thrown mugs that she, she valued tremendously. And my father apparently the story is had made them for her as a wedding gift mm-hmm. and he had never touched clay or a wheel before but i think three days before he was like i'm gonna do this huh. and he just he sat by this wheel and just did it over and over and over again within the space of like two days until he sort of taught himself to throw mugs huh. and then made this set of like 20 mugs with the handles and glaze and everything really nice. Wow. And they, they were very precious to my mom. They would hang under the little shelf. And of course, as kids, she would always be, oh, da, da, you know, and one would go crashing to the ground. And, uh, um, but, but looking at thinking about that, even now as an adult, that that's kind of a, a cool thing to do, right? He, he didn't have any experience with clay and nobody teaching him. He just thought, oh, I'm going to figure this out and made a set of mugs. It can be done. You too, Peter could, uh, Teach yourself to be a potter. All right. That's my challenge. That sounds great. Yeah. Now, uh, the wheel is is pretty bulky, um, but the kiln, I would imagine, you, you can't just do that in your ordinary office. <clears throat> yeah. So so in the past, I've had kilns. They're, they range from really big size ones to smaller ones. They usually take a higher voltage, like a 222 yeah. fire. So, But you can have them in your basement. But I, I don't have one now. But uh, I, have, I befriended this lovely little nun in Toronto near St. Clair O'Connor. She has a, a, a little potter studio called Studio on the Hill. Huh. And she's a Catholic nun and she gives classes. And I made friends with her and she, she's very happy to, to fire my pieces. We kind of struck up a little, uh, probably in her 80s now. Oh, that's amazing. So when, 
yeah. So, so whenever I um, want to fire something, I bring it in there. I think she's soon retiring. Amazing. There's even a community building element around it. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. I love the idea of creating gifts for people as well. And I think there's something about creating a mug, a plate, a bowl, something that you will actually use um, that really appeals to me. I really think it changes your, even your experience of food or hosting people, stuff like that. You give people the good mug. (laughs) Yeah, well, absolutely. No, absolutely. And and the process of throwing something on a wheel, you know, it is really incredibly beautiful to watch and also incredibly spiritual. I mean, the most important thing is the centering, Mm. you know, is taking that lump of, it must be perfectly in the middle for you to do anything. That's the very first thing, you know, if it's not, otherwise the thing is like wobbling around the wheel. So that exercise and the instinct is to force it into place, you know, to muscle it in, but that really isn't the way it's about kind of like finding almost this core integrity in your body and then just guiding it very gently right to the middle. Hmm. And once you have it in the middle, you know, then you can sort of bring up almost anything. And the idea of eating, I think, from a vessel or drinking from something that someone's hands have, have guided that up, even a commercial pottery, you know, but someone's throwing that, that's someone's hands, that's someone's work, that's someone's life force and energy put into that uh, thing versus something from Ikea or Walmart or uh, some mold in, in, in some other country. I'm glad that you have some special vessels. Me too. When I was at high school, there was this art class you could stay behind after school to do. And mostly what we did was mess around with clay. And I just remember these huge slabs that they would have and the art teacher would like kind of get a wire and kind of slice off a whole chunk. And it's all this anticipation, the possibilities, you have no idea what you're going to make with it. And I didn't, I don't think I really made anything that was ever had a use to it other Mm. than artistic creation or just having fun. Well, here's the great thing because my boys really enjoy throwing stuff on, on the wheel and making things by hand. And really at the end of the day, it's just dirt, right? So if you don't fire it, it'll just go back to being dirt, right? right. You can really enjoy the process. And yes, yeah, sometimes you find something that you want to keep or sometimes, you know, it just sits in a special place on a shelf for a few months and then makes its way into the garden and, you know, adds to the compost. Um, and I think that there's beauty in that as well. Definitely. I was curious if you knew where clay comes from. Clay, is it is it mined somewhere? Yeah, yeah, that's a, a really good question. Yeah, it is. It is mined. It, there's a certain conditions that create clay. But it right. is just it's just dirt and and water, but right. that have been compacted and sort of w- with some friction to make it very very fine. And there's many different types of clay, but there's really two primary types of clay. One is earthenware, and one is stoneware earthenware i usually work with with earthenware it's a slightly softer clay it, it fires at a slightly lower temperature and it's usually a little closer up to the ground is where it's found huh. and the stoneware clay is a little deeper down and it's it's a it looks the same to the untrained eye it would look the same if you saw it but it fires at a higher temperature and it's a little stronger right you imagine like a, a flower pot you can almost kind of break it right it's a bit crumbly right Versus a mug, which is typically food, whereas it's usually stoneware to give it a bit more integrity, mm. is a thicker because the, the actual molecules are, are smaller. Right. Oh, interesting. Yeah, but it is mined in chunks out of the ground. Obviously, it's one of the earliest found historical objects. It found his ceramic objects from hundreds of thousands of years ago. But yeah, it all comes from the ground. In British archaeology, uh, a lot of 
the dating is done based on the patterns that people find on the the, the wares that people create tens of thousands of years of difference between this pattern and this pattern, which yeah. is just amazing. And I, what I love about it is it shows us that throughout history, we have enjoyed decorating things and we've been yeah. enjoyed creating things and beautiful things as well. Well, and pretty neat to think that we drink a cup of coffee out of basically inherently the same material as people did tens of thousands of years ago. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Um, I want to ask a bit about, uh, when things don't go quite right, when what you're creating maybe explode in the kiln or are damaged mm-hmm. in the process, stuff like that. As a creator, what's your approach to those things? Yeah. yeah, it's a really interesting question. For me, I really enjoy the process of making things. And often, almost quite shortly after I've made them, I, I, I kind of don't really feel all that much attachment, uh-huh. maybe as, as a remnant result of having siblings that knock so many things <laughs> off the counter growing up. But I, I think there's just a letting go. I mean, particularly with kilns, you, you really don't know what's going to happen in there. And maybe it's not your piece. Maybe it's somebody else's piece that's going to explode and, 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 uh, and kind of you know, blow it up. So Mm. I just try to look at it like, you know, it was fun making it and kind of whatever happens from there on out, uh, it'll be what it shall be, you know? (laughs) Sounds pretty healthy uh, and and pretty realistic when you're considering the medium as well. Yeah. Art. I think the idea of art can feel a little pretentious sometimes, even when I was sort of making little things like this during college and selling them in the local galleries or something, it's not to me, it's not art. It's just, it's just making something that brings a little bit of joy, you know, to yourself or to someone around. So I just encourage people to just make stuff, you know, throw some paint on a canvas or paper or, or, or doodle on, on a piece of wood or grab some clay and make a form. I mean, I invite anyone to come up, here and, and try my potter's wheel if they want to give it a shot and pull it out on a sunny day and work on the uh the front deck so yeah great it's invitation yeah it's open doors open christ be in your breathing constantly impart grace to every movement peace within your heart Christ be in your senses, marked with sacred sign. In the Spirit's presence, flesh becomes divine. Christ be in your senses, marked with sacred sign. In the incarnation, flesh became divine. Hearing to you to rejoice in each shout or whisper, hear God's calling voice. Christ be in your vision, guard you day and night, keep your feet from stumbling, shine God's holy light. Christ be in your speaking. Constantly about God.
grace to every movement, peace within your heart, Christ be in your senses, marked with sacred sign, in the Spirit's presence, flesh becomes divine. We pray together. We call to mind all of those that we wish to lift up in prayer. The people and the situations in our lives and around the world that need God's healing presence and power. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. God, be in my head and in my understanding. God, be in my eyes and in my looking. God, be in my mouth and in my speaking. God, be in my head and in my thinking. God, be at my end and at my departing. Amen. <laughs>